A defense team dynamic duo that kept Jeffrey Epstein out of jail. The lead starts right now. An impeachment defense dream team. President Trump beefs up his legal team with names you know from infamous defendants and from their time on TV. The Pentagon initially said no U.S. troops were hurt by the Iranian missile attack last week. But since then, new information and several troops medevaced out. Are they going to be okay? And why the discrepancy? Plus, alleged neo-Nazis, 1,500 rounds of ammo and a state of emergency as Virginia officials have nightmares of another Charlottesville. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead, the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump. The president now has the defense team that he hopes will get him acquitted and perhaps shift the entire tone of the Senate trial. In addition to his personal attorney, Jay Sekulow, and White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, President Trump is now adding some high-profile and controversial picks. Some thought Alan Dershowitz, who has defended O.J. Simpson and Jeffrey Epstein, would prove too Controversial, even for President Trump, but the Harvard professor will deliver oral arguments, according to the spokesman for the Trump legal team, along with Ken Starr, who also helped to defend Epstein. Starr, of course, most notably, along with another new Trump defense attorney, Robert Ray, were, as independent counsels, making the pro-impeachment arguments just 21 years ago against Bill Clinton. It will be interesting to hear Starr make arguments that contradict what he said in the 1990s, such as this about Bill Clinton obstructing Congress. The president and his administration asserted three different governmental privileges to conceal relevant information, and they delayed and impeded the investigation. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, many of the newest hires on the president's defense team have been making pro-Trump arguments for Quite some time now on the president's favorite television channel. Days before his Senate trial gets underway, President Trump is adding firepower to his legal team, bringing in Ken Starr, Alan Dershowitz and Robert Ray to help make his case from the Senate floor. The three seasoned attorneys all have one quality in common that means the most to the president, television experience. Ken Starr is the hard-charging prosecutor whose independent counsel investigation led to President Bill Clinton's impeachment. Those acts constitute a pattern of obstruction that is fundamentally inconsistent with the president's duty to faithfully execute the law. Back then, Trump didn't always think so highly of Starr. I think Ken Starr is a lunatic. I really think that Ken Starr is a disaster. Now Starr appears regularly on Fox News, where sources say the president has watched him closely as he's analyzed his own impeachment. There was a huge question. Will there be witnesses? Another Fox regular, Robert Ray succeeded Starr as the independent counsel and issued the final report on Clinton. We don't impeach an administration based upon policy differences. Alan Dershowitz gained fame after defending high-profile clients like O.J. Simpson, but has since come under scrutiny for his ties to Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein, and is now embroiled in a lawsuit with a woman who says she was a victim of Epstein's, all allegations that Dershowitz has denied. As a criminal lawyer, being shocked by an allegation doesn't mean that I won't defend somebody. Dershowitz was reluctant to take the job. But in the end, quote, believes the issues at stake go to the heart of our enduring Constitution. 
Sources say Trump has been talking about the upcoming trial nonstop and ended his celebration with the LSU football team today with this riff on impeachment. But you got a good one now, even though they're trying to impeach the son of a bitch. Can you believe that? Now, Jake, we are also being told by sources that those House Republicans who were once being considered as additions to the president's defense team are now no longer expected to take a formal role in all of this. The situation has been incredibly fluid, literally changing on a day-to-day basis this week. But right now, the latest is they are not expected to join in any formal capacity, instead working behind the scenes. Though we have been told some of them are continuing to prep just in case they're added at the last minute. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thanks so much. CNN's Manu Raju is live for us on Capitol Hill. Manu, you're learning that senators are preparing for a contentious start to this trial as Democrats look to force witnesses. Tell us more. Yeah, expected on Tuesday. That's when the Senate will reconvene and actually will begin to debate the resolution that's been drafted by Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, setting out the parameters for the trial. Now, in that resolution, it is not expected to include a requirement that witnesses come and testify or that documents be provided up front. And of course, Democrats have for weeks been demanding all that be included. So Democrats, led by Chuck Schumer, the Minority Leader, plan to offer amendments on the floor of the Senate to demand that to be part of the trial. Now, expect Republicans to push back, to fight back on these. But the Democrats do have the right to offer amendments, multiple amendments, and each of these could be debated for about two hours each. So depending on how many Democrats decide to offer, it could delay the opening arguments that could actually occur as the House Democratic managers prepare to initially make their case. Now, also in an interesting twist, Jake, some of this could happen behind closed doors because senators are not allowed to speak publicly and debate while the trial's in session. So they would have to vote by a majority vote to go behind closed doors. But if they decide to keep it in public, the House impeachment managers would debate the amendments and the White House's defense team would fight back. Hmm. Jake? All right. Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Joining me now, Preet Bharara, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. President Trump asked him to leave that position. He is now a CNN senior legal analyst. Preet, thanks for joining us. Let's sure. start with these new additions to the Trump legal team. What do you make of the picks? How do you think they'll shape the tone of the trial? So, you know, it's interesting. I um, am a terrible at predicting what the president will do. I had thought after seeing the reports uh, that the, the, the sort of more vocal, strident supporters of the president in the House, like Jim Jordan and Doug Collins and others, were not being considered because folks in the Senate, like Mitch McConnell, thought uh, there should not be a circus-like atmosphere. I thought that he would pick quieter, less controversial uh, lawyers to defend him in the Senate, uh, and that he would have his serious lawyers in the Senate uh, who maybe are not so controversial and also have his controversial folks on television. It was the best of both worlds for him. He has now chosen to pick folks as those clips reveal. People have very, very strong feelings about Ken Starr and about Alan Dershowitz and, and to a lesser extent about Pam Bondi. Uh, and so I think he's looking to uh, increase ratings for the trial when it would seem that his, his best, uh, I think, approach to this might have been uh, you know, quiet, deliberative kinds of lawyers who would make a case based on the law and the facts and wouldn't draw attention to themselves. He's actually, in this way, uh, not speaking as a, as a, as a legal, in the legal dimension, mm-hmm. increased, increased viewership of the upcoming impeachment trial. Starr and Ray, obviously uh, best known from the Clinton impeachment, Starr called several witnesses to testify in the investigation, President Clinton himself, Monica Lewinsky, 11 of her friends, family, even an ex-boyfriend and a counselor, as well as multiple White House aides. This is not on the Senate floor, of course. It is notable now that he's put in the position of defending not having witnesses when 
in actuality, the Republican House impeachment managers did have new witnesses or witnesses testify uh, before the Senate, not not in person, but on video. Yeah, it'll it'll lead to a credible claim, a claim of hypocrisy um, that will be exacerbated because President Trump has picked someone who is on not only on record, but on videotape uh, during the proceedings uh, 21 years ago, saying the exact opposite of the kinds of things that the president wants them to say now, including that clip that you showed a couple of minutes ago, showing what Donald Trump thought about Ken Starr back then. So, you know, it serves a little bit of a distraction. It seems to me that the president is not, as with all sorts of other issues, not trying to persuade people who are undecided or are against him to his side, but just playing to the base. Because a lot of people are going to tune out, whether right or wrong, will tune out people like Ken Starr, tune out people like Alan Dershowitz. Paul Rosenzweig, a former senior counsel to independent counsel Ken Starr, um, went on Twitter. He's depressed uh, about Starr taking the gig. Uh, he told me that Starr recommended impeachment against Clinton in part because, quote, Clinton abused his constitutional authority by lying to the public and the Congress, refusing six invitations to testify voluntarily, invoking executive privilege, lying to the grand jury, all as part of an effort to hinder, impede and deflect possible inquiry by the Congress of the United States. Yet, Rosenzweig told me, Trump's conduct in this regard is far worse, unquote. And he wants Starr to try to explain it. What do you think? I think that's exactly right. It's as we talk about it and as the news has been unfolding, it's just not clear why you pick someone like Ken Starr, because it's going to allow people to make you know, two tracks of argument. One, you can respond to the arguments being made. And then second, you can attack the person making the argument. Generally speaking, you don't want so much attention to be drawn to the, you know, to the out of proceeding comments made in the past by a lawyer. But this is a political process. You know, Ken Starr has as much name recognition as any lawyer in the country associated with the opposite of what he's standing for now. And so to the extent that public sentiment matters, and by the way, it does, because that affects how uh, senators on the fence may be thinking about this issue and public sentiment about Ken Starr, you know, moves in a particular direction. So I don't think it's helpful to the president and it's odd to me. And I'm not surprised that he's disappointed. The president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who, of course, is a is a part of this scandal, uh, the Ukraine scandal, um, made it clear that he wanted to help the president, help defend the president. He, he made, he's made comments many times talking about it. What do you make of the fact that he is not, at least as of now, part of the Trump legal team for the impeachment trial? It seems like President Trump has gone up to the edge of insane without crossing over into insanity, because I think as a legal matter, political matter, optics matter, having Rudy Giuliani to defend him in the Senate doesn't make any sense. In addition to all the other reasons you might imagine, the... Uh, the testimony on television by Lev Parnas, an associate of Rudy Giuliani, makes it very clear that Rudy is a witness in the matter. Lev Parnas had all these associations and dealings in Ukraine. He's meeting with Rudy Giuliani every day to talk about those things. And then we, we don't know what Rudy Giuliani said to the president, what the president's knowledge of all this activity was that for, forms the, the heart of impeachment. Rudy is a witness. He can't be a lawyer, no matter how badly Trump wants him to be. We'll see. I think you just guaranteed that he's going to be named to the legal team just by <laughs> yeah. saying that. Pre Barrara, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, he's thanks, got man. questionable credibility, but he says he witnessed a key conversation with President Trump about the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Then the first votes have already been cast in the 2020 primaries. As one candidate claims, the system is rigged against the competition. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, an indicted associate of Rudy Giuliani is now detailing to CNN what he claims was his role in getting the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine fired. Lev Parnas says he told President Trump in spring 2018 that he believed Marie Ivanovich 
was bad-mouthing the president. And just seconds later, Parnas claims, the president told his top aide to get rid of her. Now, Parnas has a serious credibility issue, but some of the evidence he has produced has further backed up the allegations being made about the president and his team in the Ukraine scandal. As CNN's Alex Marquardt reports, today, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo finally addressed one of the questions the text messages provided by Parnas has raised. Three days after it was revealed that Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch might have been under illegal surveillance, the country's top diplomat, her boss, Mike Pompeo, finally broke his silence and addressed the issue on right-wing radio. We will do everything we need to do to evaluate whether there was something that took place there. Uh, I, I, I suspect that much of what's been reported will ultimately prove wrong. A State Department official said today an investigation had already been launched on Tuesday after text messages between American Robert Hyde and Giuliani associate Lev Parnas were handed over to Congress. But it had not been addressed until today. Mr. Secretary, will you investigate the surveillance of Ambassador Yovanovitch? The ominous text conversation discussed Yovanovitch's supposed movements in Kiev. She's next to the embassy, Hyde writes. Then later, they will let me know when she's on the move. Pompeo today claimed he knew nothing about any surveillance of Yovanovitch. Until the story broke, I had, had best of my recollection, I had never heard of this at all. Hyde also denies ever tracking her. Those are pretty heavy accusations. I mean, I mean, it was just colorful. We were playing. Parnas told Anderson Cooper he didn't take Hyde seriously. I'll be honest with you. If I thought he was, it was real, I would have contacted the authorities. Ukraine has launched an investigation of their own. Now, eight months after Yovanovitch was removed by President Trump, Parnas says that Yovanovitch, who's a career diplomat, was hated and that he personally heard Trump demand that she be fired. I told the president that she, our opinion, uh, that she is bad-mouthing him and that uh, she said that he's going to get impeached. His reaction was he looked at me, like, got very angry and basically turned around to John DeStefano and said, fire her, mm. get rid of her. Whether it was about Yovanovitch or the broader quid pro quo with Ukraine, Parnas says nothing would have been done without the president's order. Rudy wouldn't do anything without the president's order, just like I wouldn't do anything without Rudy's. Now, one other name that Parnas brought up is former Energy Secretary Rick Perry. Perry led the U.S. delegation to President Zelensky's inauguration. And Parnas says that Perry spoke with Rudy Giuliani before and after and was told to tell the Ukrainians to launch that investigation into Joe Biden. When they didn't, Giuliani blew his lid, according to Parnas. Now, the Energy Department maintains that Perry had only one call with Giuliani and never heard Biden or Burisma come up. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, Aisha, Parnas said he coordinated directly with Giuliani, mm-hmm. and they had a protocol to prove to Ukrainian officials that Parnas had some political power. Take a listen. I put him on speakerphone, and Rudy at that time told him that I represent the president of the United States and that everything I say, that to be taken w- with that authority. Rudy Giuliani said on speakerphone to the man who now runs Ukrainian intelligence that you represent Giuliani and the president? Absolutely. No, the president directly. He knew you I represent was, the president. Correct. And that's why they spoke to me. And that's why they that's why I got out of there alive. 
And we should point out that John Dowd, uh, who represents, uh, who is the player that he represented exactly? He, um, well, he, he was he, representing Rudy at one point. He, he was representing uh, the president and then he came in and was supposed to be representing Parnas and the other man. Yeah, and who he, was, he, yes, he said yes, that Parnas I, represented, he legally yes, said. Yes, yes. And said that they were working on the president's legal team. Um, and, and so therefore some of this would be attorney-client privilege. Uh, now, of course, the president is saying he doesn't know anything about Parnas. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any recollection of them. And the White House is saying, oh, you can't trust Parnas. He's he's been indicted. This is a pattern, though, right? Like, <laughs> basically, they the, the president is either tangentially or people connected to the president, Rudy Giuliani, who the president doesn't deny, has said, this is my personal lawyer. Uh, people connected to them, they get indicted. Uh, and then it's, oh, well, you can't trust this person. They're not trustworthy. They just got indicted. But why are all these people, yeah. even in kind of the outer circles, uh, being able to be connected to the president? And that issue of Rudy Giuliani saying, I represent the president of the United States, some of those documents yeah. that were released, that's what he he says, he says, I represent the president in a personal capacity, but he's still saying, I represent President Trump. You have to think that that if you are in Ukraine and you're getting that sort of letter from Rudy Giuliani, are you going to think, yeah, I should take this meeting because he's connected to the president. He's representing him in some personal matter. But do I want to make Trump mad? I, but I mean, this, I'm not a lawyer. Charlie is. But yeah. uh, the the. Uh, the idea that the president could have personal business with a foreign head of state or a foreign actor is also puzzling. I don't know what the least. You're talking about Rudy writing Rudy, a letter no, to the well, president right. yeah, of uh, you, Ukraine. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like wanting a meeting with him. And, and even though it's Rudy's personal, it's his personal attorney. Well, there's no personal business between heads of state that I, I don't. You would know better than that. What do you think? You're the like former uh, legal counsel for the RNC. What's your take? Don't you find? Do you find this? I understand that Lev Parnas. You know, is not going to be carved on Mount Rushmore tomorrow. But but is but this yeah, not problematic? Trump, Beyond that, I think this is a distraction. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with the actual charges that are going to be in front of the Senate. Mm -hmm. I think the important part of the story is that Giuliani has been pushed out of the legal team. If they wanted to convince Sean Hannity, then Rudy's a great lawyer. But if you wanted to convince swing senators, whether that is Joe Manchin or whether that's my old boss, Mitt Romney, than having someone really respected like Ken Starr and the person with the most investigative experience probably in America, that's Robert Ray. Those are really effective lawyers for drown-the-middle argument. Mm -hmm. And I think the president stepped it up by bringing them in and moving past sort of the Giuliani show stuff. You don't think it's embarrassing that he called in the Jeffrey Epstein legal team to represent him in the most important moment of his life? Just to be clear, Starr and uh, yeah. Dershowitz both represented... Uh, Epstein, I, I to, among others, among, among others. others, I have to say that OJ and other great. That's players. kind of what's wrong with our media right now, or is to say that Ken Starr, Judge Starr, who spent a quarter century as one of the most respected lawyers in America, and Alan Dershowitz on the left, he was talked about for the U.S. Supreme Court. He is a legal lion for liberals on constitutional scholars. But Starr left Baylor in 2016 under a cloud over what he had or hadn't done in terms of sexual abuse charges. Yeah, lots in, of scandals in terms of the Starr. football team. Yes. In terms of lots of scandals involving Starr. And of course, just on his impeachment record, Trump is on record calling him a lunatic 
for trying to impeach Clinton. Now he hires the guy to defend him in his own impeachment trial. And I think it sends a message to the world. It's a reminder. It's a weird, unnecessary reminder to the world that Republicans are fine with impeaching presidents as long as they're Democrats, but not if they're Republicans. That's the greatest of messages. And Jack, let me bring you in here, because is that a distraction? Because there are lots of clips, and we ran uh, one or two of them, of Ken Starr making arguments that one could, uh, against Bill Clinton that one could very easily apply to Donald Trump in terms of, for instance, not turning over documents or witnesses. You know, it seems impeachment is such a political process. We've seen this with politicians. We've seen this with lawyers now that uh, it's very easy to switch sides. And whether or not the American people choose to hold them accountable for that, that's the open question. But this is the nature of this process. There are so many parallels for the opposite side with the Clinton impeachment, and we will keep on seeing this, but it's not, it, it will be for them to judge. For instance, uh, Chuck Schumer back, exactly. th- back then saying uh, that there should not be witnesses. Today, he's making the argument. There well, exactly. If you stick around long enough, yeah, I guess you'll come well, on the other, the other side. To be fair to Schumer, and I'm not always fair to Schumer, his argument then was the witnesses had already been heard in the House. Here, the argument is Mitt Mulvaney has not been heard in the House. Um, you know, John Bolton has not been heard in the House. That's why you need to hear them in the Senate. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. The Pentagon first said no U.S. troops had been hurt in that Iranian strike in Iraq. But now the story is changing as more information has come in. The latest on that next. Stay with us. We are back with our world lead now. After initially claiming that no Americans had been hurt, the Pentagon now says that several U.S. troops were injured when Iran fired 16 missiles at bases in Iraq last week. Eight service members, in fact, were sent to Landstuhl Medical Center in Germany and three to Camp Arifjan in Kuwait to treat concussion symptoms. Now, a defense official tells CNN it can take days for those symptoms to appear And Defense Secretary Esper was just made aware of the injuries yesterday. We have a team of correspondents covering the story across the globe. Let's start with Arwa Damon in Istanbul. And Arwa, how are these soldiers doing? And tell us what you saw when you visited the base after the attack. Well, our understanding, Jake, is that the expectation is that they will be treated. And once they're given medical clearance, they will return back to their posts at the Al-Assad airbase. What the military is saying is that they went through regular routine checks uh, as they do when explosions of this nature happen, happen close uh, to anyone. And it became apparent that some of these uh, service people needed to have additional medical screening for their own health and also perhaps to a certain degree to air on the side of caution, because look, Jake, it is not at all surprising that they suffered from concussions, from some sort of brain trauma, given what we saw and what we heard when we were at the Al-Assad airbase just a few days after this ballistic missile attack by Iran. If you look at the areas that were targeted, Jake, you had uh, sleeping quarters, you had operating areas. We heard stories of troops who were extraordinarily close to the impact area where these missiles landed. Stories of soldiers who had to keep, while these missiles were raining down on them, holding their posts, holding the security around the perimeter of the base. Because remember, at the same time, they were also receiving intelligence that there could be rocket and mortar attacks, that there could be some sort of a ground assault. Now, the vast majority of the forces were able to shelter in Saddam-era bunkers, but a number of them had to shelter in bunkers that were built to withstand mortars and rockets, not this kind of missile that was fired that was some 3,000 times 
more powerful than that. So when you talk to the troops that were down there, Jake, all mm -hmm. of them will still say it is miraculous that no one was killed. All right, Arwa Damon, thank you so much. Barbara starts at the Pentagon for us. And Barbara, how is it that Defense Secretary Esper did not know that there were injuries in the immediate aftermath? Is there some sort of failure to communicate with him? It doesn't appear so in the immediate aftermath. What it appears to have happened, Jake, is these symptoms did develop over days. Some of the troops had initial symptoms and they simply didn't get better. Some of the troops then days later reported symptoms. And it was yesterday that they were finally evacuated out, as you said, to Germany and Kuwait. And it was yesterday then, as that happened, it triggered a mechanism for it to finally be reported to the Pentagon. And in fact, a four-star general walked into Esper's office, interrupted a meeting and told him what had happened. It perhaps underscores all these years later how difficult it is for the U.S. military to understand the implications of traumatic brain injury and to deal with it on a very rapid basis. And Barbara, uh, Arwa just reported uh, that the expectation is that all of the injured service members are expected to return to Iraq? Well, that's according to an official statement from the U.S. military. But again, these traumatic brain injuries, they heal on their own timetable, and these troops are going to have to be monitored, and there will have to be a medical sign-off for them to return to duty, Jake. All right, Barbara Starr, thank you so much. This all comes as Iran's supreme leader is attacking the Trump administration, calling members of the administration clowns, Leading Friday prayers for the first time in eight years, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei defiantly declared Iran and said, de declared that Iran slapped the United States in the face. CNN's international security editor, Nick Payton Walsh, joins me now. And Nick, the, the speech by Iran's supreme leader was carefully crafted and choreographed, trying to rally the country's hardliners? Possibly, also possibly show to everybody that he is still the calm hand in control. They've had a pretty crazy fortnight, frankly, Iran, losing their top military figure, launching retaliatory airstrikes, military to military against a, uh, a U.S. base in Iraq there, as you just heard from Awa, but also, too, blowing out of the sky by mistake, that Ukrainian airliner PS-752. Essentially, much of this rhetoric was boilerplate. He called, as you said, uh, U.S. officials that are trying to encourage protests in Iran against the economy, against that mistaken downing. He called them clowns said diplomacy was off the table from the US. Well, we kind of knew that on the surface, but also interestingly, too, had disparaging words for the European uh, allies of the United States that are trying to perhaps keep the nuclear deal alive, uh, calling them the uh, servants of United States of America. The one bit that stood out when he referred to the mistaken downing of that airliner, many Iranians died in that. There were protests on the street when Iranian officials tried to say it went down for technical reasons. He said he was grateful uh, to the Iranian military for saying they were behind it. I paraphrase there. But he also said something like that absolutely never had to happen again. That's key because he may be pointed towards the cover up there, possibly the mistake, possibly even the protest afterwards, but perhaps a bid to draw the line under it. More importantly, this was really him staying to the establishment script for Iranian officials, but trying to say after this turmoil, I'm in charge still. I'm still the leading figure of authority and making this very rare appearance, frankly, which we haven't seen you say for eight years. Jake. All right. Nick Payton Walsh, thank you so much. President Trump is claiming that Democrats are rigging the primaries against one of the president's potential opponents. Wait till you hear who he's talking about and what he is blaming. Stay with us. Today's 2020 lead, who needs foreign countries sowing the seeds of division and spreading conspiracy theories when President Trump is willing to do it for free? Today, the president suggested the Senate impeachment trial against him is a calculated strategy by Democrats to keep Bernie Sanders off the campaign trail and to help Joe Biden win the Democratic primaries. 
the president of the United States tweeting, quote, they are rigging the election again against Bernie Sanders, just like last time, only even more obviously they are bringing him out of so important Iowa in order that as a senator, he sit through the impeachment hoax trial. Crazy Nancy, therefore, thereby gives the strong edge to sleepy Joe Biden and Bernie is shut out again. Let's talk about this. So obviously it is true that the impeachment trial will keep Bernie Sanders and the other three senators running for president off the campaign trail. But that is they're not doing it to help Joe Biden. Can you imagine if the I mean, the simple way of disproving this latest ridiculous theory is Bernie Sanders supports impeaching Donald Trump. Right. So he's part of the conspiracy. They're one of the best conspiracy theorists. Though frustrated, though he is frustrated. He is frustrated. But he, has, but, he, but he has been a supporter for quite a while of, of impeaching Trump for his many high crimes and misdemeanors. So it's a ridiculous theory that you, that, that is the case. Uh, Trump obviously loves playing divide and rule. The irony about rigging elections is he's the one on his side who's not allowing any of his Republican challengers to debate him, get on ballot papers, get on... T- I mean, the real rigging is, he's, even though they're not even a threat to him, he won't even let them run against him. The argument the president's making is that Nancy Pelosi is, a, I would say, a smart woman. Mm-hmm. And the only, there was delaying the sending, sending the articles over had no strategic benefit for her. I think it backfired politically. The only political benefit was for Joe Biden because it now. But you don't think that's why she did it? Do you? I don't think it's the. We're talking about not impeachment in general. No, no, you don't think that's why Pelosi delayed delay, it? The, I can't think of another logical reason. Really? I'm going to boil this into the tweet down to less characters. Fight, fight, fight. I mean, that's what it seems to be, he seems to be doing among the Democratic contenders. We saw it when Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were uh, quarreling earlier this week. Uh, President Trump was sowing into that. He likes seeing the conflict, which is why I think you hear Democrats um, both you know, in the states and, and nationally saying everyone stop fighting. He's the one we need to be going after. Well, well, this is what he wants, right? He wants to make whoever comes out to be the nominee, he wants to make them extremely toxic. Like, because they know that this is going to be a close race. Whoever wins the nomination, this is going to be a close race. So if he can turn off Democrats or turn off Bernie supporters and make them think, I'm not going to go out for whoever got the nomination because Bernie got shafted or whatever, then that helps Donald Trump. And so, yeah, I I mean, I don't know that that Trump is really concerned about fairness (laughs) to Bernie, but he's said this a lot on his Twitter feed. He always said Bernie was treated unfairly, but that's what he's playing. Well, he's not the only one. I mean, to, to, you know... I don't want to defend the president's tweet. I think Nancy Pelosi held the articles because she was trying to force a more fair process. And you can certainly argue that it didn't work. But, uh, I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren said the primaries against Bernie were rigged. I mean, but, but that's the point. If it was just Bernie being hurt by this, maybe you could make a case. But it's Warren. It's Klobuchar. There's no evidence that Nancy Pelosi is endorsing Biden. as She might be a Klobuchar supporter, go- for all we know. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to say that they're harming Bernie when the other senators are also. Going to 16, they changed the process because they acknowledged it wasn't fair to Bernie. Yeah, and these theories work, or or the way that he's talking about this right now, as far as the impeachment being unfair to Bernie, it works because people do feel like, and people, like, the 2016 process, they said it was unfair to Bernie. Sure. And there will be supporters who feel like, that. yeah, and they will feel like this is happening again. So he can take a grain of truth and then use it to his advantage. So, assuming that uh, President Trump is just trolling the Democrats, uh, he's also trolling Mike Bloomberg today. He called (laughs) Bloomberg's campaign ads 
a vanity project. Uh, he's not the only one to think that. Also, uh, Bloomberg is spending five times what Mr. Trump is spending on TV and digital ads right now. $206 million by Bloomberg compared to $40 million by, $40 million by President Trump and his campaign. When Bloomberg dropped $10 million on a Super Bowl spot, uh, his campaign, Bloomberg's campaign, reportedly told The New York Times the biggest point is getting under Trump's skin. So we're just all trolls now? Is this a, where we are? Billionaires trolling billionaires, <laughs> just what the founders intended. <laughs> you don't think he's a billionaire. But, 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 but moving on. Look, there's, a, there's an onion meme, right, that the worst person in the world just made a point you agreed with. Donald Trump is right. It is a vanity project by Bloomberg. He can't win the Democratic nomination. My fear is he's going to run as a third party and get Trump re-elected by running, you know, doing all this for publicity and vanity and then doing his so, own thing in the election, which is a nightmare scenario. I do think there is real concern within some areas um, uh, of uh, Trump's campaign apparatus about the money that Bloomberg can dump well, into this race. he's worth something like $54 well, billion. Dollars. Senate no, races, no, Michael Bloomberg. Literally, you could just like thrown into races. the fire. But, but even if Bloomberg has said, and if you believe him, uh, that he will spend money if he's the nominee or not right. to defeat President Trump. What do you think of Bloomberg's chances? Do you think he could actually get the nomination? Do you think, why does President Trump talk about him so much relative to his standing Because he in the spends polls? all his time attacking President Trump and right. the president's a counterpuncher and yeah. doesn't like being attacked all the time. One other thing that's interesting is the New York Times editorial board released its December interview with Joe Biden. The editorial board is releasing these interviews. It's very interesting. Biden telling the editors that it's, quote, not true that he's ever hinted that he would only serve one term. Um, but there are Democrats who think that that would be an appealing message in a way because Biden is not young. And if his pledge is basically I'll just bring the country back to normal, uh, it, it might have some appeal for some people. It, it could have some appeal. I guess the, the, the detractors to that would say, why would you say you're going to run for one term? Then when, if you get elected, you're a lame duck right, no power. and, and right. you have no power and people aren't going to you know, work work with you. It's going to be hard either way. I think that's a way of trying to address this age issue, trying to address um, whether he would be able to last for, or whether he would be able to uh, maintain the energy that he would need for two terms in office. But I, I think that that's why he's kind of walking back from that. The primary would start in tw the day after the election, even more than it already does for 2024. I mean, it, you would be completely take away any sort of power you would but have not saying it that. means that he and Bernie would both be in their late 80s when they finish their second term, which a lot of people find hard to digest. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about the FBI arresting three men, tying them to a radical white supremacist group, possibly with frightening plans for a Martin Luther King Day rally in Virginia. That's next. Stay with us. In our national lead now, a state of emergency in Virginia. Moments ago, Governor Ralph Northam held a confidential security briefing explaining his decision to ban firearms at Monday's gun rights rally in the capital of Richmond. Fears of a repeat of the deadly 2017 alt-right rally in Charlottesville rose yesterday after three alleged white supremacists with 1,500 rounds of ammunition were arrested by the FBI. And as CNN's Alexandra Field reports for us, a law enforcement official says those men were planning on going to attend the event. Alarming accusations in Washington's backyard. The FBI arresting these three men in Maryland and Delaware, tying them to a radical white supremacist group and alleging they were heavily armed and headed to a pro-gun rally in Virginia, according to law enforcement. Prosecutors slapping them with multiple firearm and immigration-related charges because one of them, a Canadian citizen, is accused of illegally crossing from Canada into the U.S. According to court documents, the men had more than 1,500 rounds of ammunition and built their own gun. 
even bragging, oh, oops, it looks like I accidentally made a machine gun. Prosecutors say two of the men smashed their cell phones and threw them in the toilet before agents took them into custody. The FBI says the three are members of an international white supremacy group called The Base, which claims to be training its members to fight in a race war, according to a top counter-extremism group. Prosecutors even showing a picture of one of them training with the group, long guns raised and at the ready. Court documents also state members of The Base use encrypted chat rooms to discuss creating a white ethno-state and attacking African-Americans and Jewish people, as well as building bombs. The men were planning to attend a pro-gun rally in Richmond, Virginia, being held on Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, according to authorities. The rally, coming just days after Virginia lawmakers passed three gun reform bills, has led Governor Ralph Northam to temporarily ban firearms on state capitol grounds and to invoke a temporary state of emergency. State intelligence analysts have identified threats and violent rhetoric, some rhetoric similar to what has been seen before other major events, such as Charlottesville. Jews will not replace us! The memory of the Unite the Right rally still haunting the state more than two years later. It quickly turned violent, leading to a clash between neo-Nazis and counter-protesters, and left one woman dead. No one wants another incident like the one we saw in Charlottesville in 2017. We will not allow that mayhem and violence to happen here. And Jake, three days before this rally starts, we're already seeing stepped up security measures around the Capitol and also a stepped up police presence. The groups that are supporting this rally uh, went to court to try to get the governor's orders on that temporary weapons ban knocked down. They did not succeed. Ultimately, the judge siding with Governor Northam. Jake. All right. Alexander Field, thank you so much. Ranting and raving and reportedly belittling his generals, the new book claiming President Trump flipped out on his war cabinet. Next, stay with us. In our politics lead, an explosive new book by Washington Post reporters Carol Lennig and Phil Rucker is giving color to a 2017 Pentagon meeting between the president and top military officials where President Trump, according to the book, told them, quote, I wouldn't go to war with you people. You're a bunch of dopes and babies. He categorized the war in Afghanistan as a loser war, according to the book, telling the decorated military officers to their face, you're all losers. You don't know how to win anymore. Reporters painting a grim scene based on accounts from people in the room. Trump's stream of venom had taken an emotional toll, they write. So many people in that room had gone to war and risked their lives for their country. And now they were being dressed down by a president who had not. They felt sick to their stomachs. The book calls this meeting a turning point in the Trump presidency. You can tune in this Sunday morning to State of the Union. The guests, Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown and Impeachment House Manager Congressman Jason Crow. It all starts at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. By the way, the name of the book, A Very Stable Genius. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.